welcome everyone to the Streaming Water Podcast. I'm your host, Blair Corning. In today's episode, we have Greg Peterson with the Agriculture or the Colorado Ag Water Alliance. Thanks for being here today, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having me, Blair. I appreciate it. All right on. Well, maybe you could uh, give our listeners a little introduction about yourself, maybe your background, your hobbies, and uh, what brought you into this position with the, the Ag Water Alliance. Yeah, so I'm what I've been with them for about eight years now. And um, prior to that, worked with uh, doing just research with CSU on ag water issues. And um, I mean, I, I grew up in Littleton, Colorado. That's where I live still today. And um, even though I did not grow up on a farmer ranch, my family, they were farmers before I was born. Um, lost their property for the construction of Bear Creek Reservoir. And then after that, they worked in, um, they were rural land appraisers. And so just grew up traveling around the state with my dad, visiting ranches and farms and doing conservation easement work. Uh, and and then just with this organization, I mean, they I ran across them and it's it's just a very interesting intersection where, I mean, even though we're talking about water, we're that's really not what we're talking about. It's really how do these communities, how are they going to survive in going to the future just with changing climate, changing political climate, and just how how are they trying to navigate that? And I think that's really interesting and a, a really good issue to be and really good cause to be involved with. All right. Well, now it's time for the uh, interesting question. Uh, and the interesting question today, what's your uh, favorite family recipe? A lot of families have certain uh, certain dishes, certain things that uh, seem to be specific for their family. You got any of those? Um, I think there's a there is a uh, a summer squash casserole that I really like. And I'd say that's that might be it. Nice. <laughs> I know for ours. uh Every Thanksgiving, we have green beans, and then we'll dump like, I don't know, two to three pounds of Velveeta cheese, melt them on the green beans. It doesn't sound healthy, and I'm sure it's not, but that's our uh, that's the family tradition there. It's delicious. But uh, summer squash casserole sounds good, too. Maybe I should start going that way instead of the green beans with cheese. <laughs> but uh, all right, let's get in a little bit to the uh, Colorado Ag Water Alliance. Maybe uh, give the me and the listeners an idea of what the mission of the, the Colorado Ag Water Alliance is. Yeah. So um, the Colorado Ag Water Alliance or CALWA, it's an association of agricultural groups throughout the state. So um, it was founded by all these organizations that represent the different commodity groups or ag groups, whether, I mean, you've got like corn growers, potato, fruit and vegetable Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, Colorado Association of Conservation Districts, Wheat, Livestock Association, Cattle, Pork, Egg Producers, Horse Council. Um, and the goal is and uh, dairy, uh, even aquaculture. And the focus is to really support and preserve irrigated agriculture um, because the organization, they came about in the early 2000s for really you had two events going on. You had um, the first statewide water assessment came out through the Water Conservation Board, um, really identifying that 
boy, we're going to need a lot of water to meet this growth. And it's going to come from one place and that's agriculture. And that can have a pretty negative impact on agricultural communities when water leaves them. And then you also had this issue in the South Platte related to a, um, augmentation, a group called Groundwater Appropriators of the South Platte. And you had a lot of people who just really did not know and understand their water right. And it really, it came to really hurt a lot of those individual farmers involved in that group. Um, it was a really tough time for them during the drought and they thought they had water and they didn't. Um, and so I think just from that need of understanding what the the pressures on the community are going to be in the future and that just the need to educate our own community members, uh, that is where the organization started. Nice. Yeah, I am. You know, you mentioned some of the, the crops grown i'm always amazed in the state just how much the, the variety of stuff that uh ag produces you know there's wineries out by grand junction and there's cantaloupes there's onion i mean this is everything it always uh it always amazes me you know you talk about water a little bit and the importance of water to to agriculture and i've heard of uh you know some strategies to get more efficient with agriculture and the and the water they use can you talk a little bit about some of the changes in farming that are that are saving water or attempting to be more efficient yeah so i guess to take a few steps back cuz i think what what comes up first is agriculture uses all the water they use 78% 80% 90% and well, if we need to solve our problems, we just, they need to do things better. And that will, all of a sudden, we'll have tons of water enough to meet all of our needs. And I I wish that was true, um, but that's just not the case. And I, uh, part of this is, I think most people, when they, their relationship with water, what they're using it for is really not non-consumptive uses. I mean, they're running their faucet, their toilet, their shower. And the majority of that water is going to go back to the system. It's not being consumed. In an agricultural setting, it's the total opposite, where in general, the majority of this water is being consumed. And when we talk about changes with that, boy, it's not making a, a toilet more efficient and making a, uh, an irrigation system more efficient are very, very different. And so when you, when you, if you look at just an, an irrigated field of corn, for example, and the water that's put on that is applied onto that field, I mean, you've got the water that runs off, you have the water that seeps through the soil and deep percolation goes into the groundwater. You have water that evaporates. You have water that is absorbed by the crop. You have water that's absorbed by weeds or willows or other plants that necessarily we don't want to irrigate, but they are. And sometimes it's a benefit. Sometimes it's not. You have all these different parts of water. And when you really start looking at these all together, there's very few losses in an agricultural system runoff off the edge of the field that is not a loss when you look at the entire system or a watershed that water is going to be reused again and again same with water that is 
flowing through the soil profile into an aquifer or an alluvial aquifer, that is going to be used again. And when you look at a full system, you can't save that water. You're, you're taking it from some other a, a use further downstream. And so reducing that runoff or what's flowing through the soil profile, you're not saving anything. And, and that's where I, I think a lot of people get confused. It's like, okay, you're, you're saving water on that individual farm, but over the whole watershed, you're actually not. And then it gets into, well, what, what can you save? And really there's only a couple of opportunities and that's evaporation. What is evaporating from the soil? Um, water that is consumed by phreatophytes or what we, the term we use for these weeds or plants that we're not necessarily intending to irrigate. And then you can water that is transpired by the crop, the crops, they transpire water um, for growth of biomass, but also to regulate the temperature around themselves. You can make some savings there. It's a bit tricky, but even all of these, it's very complicated with for example, those those weeds and those willows that you irrigate, in a lot of places, there's benefit to all of this. I mean, you know, on the eastern on the eastern slope, in a lot of these areas, the majority of riparian habitat is from irrigation and runoff off of farms and ranches, and there is a clear environmental benefit to that. Um, and sometimes we agree that okay, that's not a loss then. Other times, maybe it's irrigating a bunch of Russian olive or tamarisk. Okay, then that's a loss. It's so that's that's can be pretty situational. Then you get into evaporation, and evaporation really is where we have the most opportunity. But when you're talking about that, you're looking at that acre of irrigated corn or that field of corn, the amount of water that is being evaporated. Really, we're only talking about anywhere between 5 and 15% of the water. Everything else is either being consumed or it's runoff going through the, the soil profile and it's going to be consumed downstream. That's it. And so we're not, you hear about people saying, well, you make this more efficient. And it's like, no, we're, those losses from evaporation is really the best opportunity we have to actually save water. And it's, it's a fraction of what people think it is. And then the, the last is, is transpiration. And that can be really difficult because crops consume what crops consume. And you can adjust this sometimes. And sometimes it's just developing better breeds of crops, um, more drought tolerant versions, um, sometimes switching crops to varieties that consume less, but can produce just as much or more. And, but that can also be that there is opportunity there, but it is, it is not easy. So when you're looking at what to actually save, there aren't a lot of opportunities. And, but what we have been doing that has been doing this over time in is really a, a lot of our practices related to tillage, um, cover crop, like, or keeping crop residue on the field. And what is going to limit that evaporation from the soil? How do you keep as much water in the soil profile as possible? And like I said, I mean, in, a, in depending on the crop and the type of irrigation, 
you can put in, you can do strip till, you can do no till, you can do other ridge till, other kinds of systems of tillage. Because every time, if you do a traditional tillage, you probably, every time you do that, you lose about an inch of water in the soil. And so the less you till, the more water you're keeping in that soil profile. And then also keeping it covered. And one of the best ways to do that is just what we refer to as crop residue or trash is just those corn stalks, that wheat stubble, keeping more or as much of that on the field as possible, not only keeps soil in the, or keeps water in the soil, but it, it traps snow and that can be really valuable. And this is something, I mean, you drive out on I-80, I-70, and you'll see this, especially in the winter, the amount of residue kept on the fields is has changed dramatically and i mean you i mean you've got limited tillage systems that was that was developed in southeastern colorado i mean you've got a lot of people putting who've been doing these practices over the years and i mean there's still people who aren't there's still way there's still progress for us to make it it can be more difficult with certain crops like potatoes or sugar beets where you you really you have to tear up the ground to get them out. It's hard to not disturb the soil. But people are still making a lot of progress on this and I think this is where we have some opportunities. Um but yeah, like I mentioned, crop residue is a is a huge one that has people been doing a lot of work and we're working on more. But it, again, it it gets into you have to have the right equipment, works with certain crops, if you're organic and you can't use certain herbicides or pest herbicides, well, if you can't use herbicides, you're plowing. I mean, and often you have to plow multiple times. And so there, there are a lot of competing factors that are pulling us in different directions that can sometimes make it difficult to actually conserve water. But there has been a lot of good work made in that way. Good. Yeah, I think it's that's an interesting perspective. It's a different way to think of it as agriculture is part of the whole system and that water's getting back into the aquifer and not being, you know, wasted as a lot of people think. So, yeah, that is a, an interesting take on it. Are there, uh, besides, you know, water conservation or, or you know, water amounts, how else is uh, water tied to agriculture? Are there other ways that uh, water and ag are intertwined? I mean, efficiency is the is the other big part, and that's it's it's pretty complex. Where I think many people assume that okay, if you're if you're flood irrigating a field and it's fifty percent efficient, well, you put in sprinklers or drip that will save water. That's not at all what happens, and in in fact, there there's a lot of great reasons to improve your irrigation efficiency. Conservation is really the one reason not to do it. And so when you hear people saying, oh, we need a mandate efficiency to save water, it's that might that is disastrous um, because of what it actually does. And so if when I say a that flood irrigation is 50% efficient, what I'm actually saying is 50% of the water is consumed by the crop. That other 50% some of it's being evaporated, which we can, let's get rid of that. That's great. But other of it is going downstream. Other of it is going back to the aquifer. These are not losses. 
And when I go to a sprinkler that's 80% efficient, that means 80% of the water I apply on that field is being consumed by the crop. We're limiting runoff, we're limiting that deep percolation, and you, you, what you do is you see it in the yields, is that a plant can only consume so much water in a given time. And flooding is inefficient in the sense that in every day, I mean, you're either giving it too much water, you're giving it not enough, you're not giving it exactly what it needs. But when you have more precise forms of irrigation, like sprinkler and drip, well, now you can get a lot closer to exactly what it needs. And everything you put on it, it is drinking all of it or close to all of it. And what you see is over time, you, you're going to have better yields. And where where is that yield, that biomass of more corn or more hay coming from? It's coming from water. And on a larger scale, there's been some really great studies demonstrating this. When you increase efficiency across entire watersheds, overall, the the, the amount of water consumed by the agricultural sector increases. And it's great in terms of production. It's great for us. But in terms of like runoff, return flows, those are just decreased considerably. Mm -hmm. And so again, when you look at that larger system, you're, you're not saving water by doing that. You're merely moving it from one category of, okay, these return flows that are going to meet other needs downstream to now it's going to be just more forage, more corn, more onions, more sugar beets. And so that's a, it, it's pretty complex. And, but even within irrigation efficiencies, there are some practices that actually do save water like better irrigation timing because you have no incentive to irrigate your crop with more water than you need to. Not, a, I mean, especially if it costs money to pump water, that's expensive, but more water can lead to disease. It can lead to more pest problems. And so better timing of irrigation. And this is something that you see like in the, the San Luis Valley that really they're getting, you have a lot of people doing work with that of, okay, let's time this so we're not over irrigating at all or giving it the crop exactly what it needs. Or if it rained recently and we got an inch of rain, how long can we hold off before irrigating again? And that really takes understanding how much water is in the soil and you have to be able to directly apply it and have control over it. Um, and so there are, there are great opportunities like that still. But again, it's with efficiency, it's it's a pretty complex system. And then when you, you step off the farm and you look at like a ditch, okay, that you have a ditch that is unlined and leaking water. Well, again, that water serves benefits. It might create riparian habitat. It might, and it, what it does go back to the stream and it's used later. These are not losses, but what there are, what you're seeing in a lot of places is we're having to make some tough choices is if we, we just don't have the water like we used to. And so we'll pipe or line a ditch and it will, it will be to the detriment of that riparian growth. And there won't be return flows coming back from that ditch 
but maybe we couldn't get all the water we needed to the farm and now we can. And so again, it's, we're, we're moving water around more than saving it. But it, there are still like, even in the ditch example, there are opportunities to save water where you need to move water in a ditch. You need a certain amount of push or carriage water to get your, your water that's going to be consumed and SCADA systems, putting in check structures. And you've seen this on bigger ditch systems like Grand Valley Water Users, Orchard Mesa Irrigation District, where they can now get the water they need to deliver to everybody with less of that push carriage water because they're putting in SCADA. So that that is a savings and it can work on bigger ditches. But again, it's all the these other ideas of piping and lining, which are great, it's moving water around more than it's actually saving it. Yeah. Do you, uh, it seems like your position in particular with the Colorado uh, Ag Water Alliance, you probably deal with a lot of different, uh, you know, farmers as well as municipalities, as well as water quality folks. Is, it, is everyone talking the same language or do you ever, do you ever experience issues where, where they're, you know, there's communication issues between the groups. Oh yeah. Um, I mean a lot, I think partly is a lot of people, you'll have a lot of water resource engineers or attorneys. They know municipal water, they know, but they don't understand irrigation. And I, I mean, I, I think I meet a lot of people who assume you improve irrigation. That's going to solve all of our problems. And I, that is they don't they don't understand crops they don't understand livestock i mean most people nowadays have no connection to a farm or ranch through family or business yeah and, and so that's a world that's totally foreign to them yeah it's interesting some of the uh the perspectives you're you're bringing up now are getting getting me thinking it's a whole different world to me as well um I don't know if you can address this or this is probably a big, uh, massive topic, but I've been hearing a lot about the Colorado River issues. And like you say, we're just don't have enough water for all the needs uh, anymore in Colorado and and other states. But is there is the Colorado River issue that's uh, currently going on uh, affecting agriculture or can you speak to any of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the budget of the Colorado River, how that's going to be solved is we're going to lose a lot of agriculture, particularly in the lower basin, um, mainly Arizona. I mean, you have entire counties, Pinal, Maricopa, it's going to be gone. And I mean, you're going to take, you're going to see hits in Southern California. You're going to see hits here. Um, and that's not even necessarily related to the compact. It's just, we don't have the snow we used to. And I mean, we're, we are incredibly reliant. We're the biggest water user. And, and so, and I just, and we just, we also don't have the resources to really, to adjust that cities do to, to deal with this. And it, it can be, I mean, individual farms and ranches don't have that capacity. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to lose a lot of farms and ranches. And I think some people they'll say, well, well, that's how you solve the problem. And I, well, I think what they forget is, is one of my board members, he, him and his family, they raise, they're dairy farmers in Morgan County. 
he'll say, well, me and my wife don't drink all this milk. And it's like, well, we're all the end users of all of these products. Yeah, We're going to be still demanding them. And we have some of the most efficient agriculture, especially animal agriculture in the world. And we're going to be losing that. But where's it? It's, it's still going to be demanded. And where is it going to come from? Yeah. And it's going to come from this big giant forest in Brazil where their soil is considerably worse, where their efficiencies in production are not as good. I mean, for them to produce as much beef as us, it takes them two cow, two to three cows. And I'm not going to say that agriculture doesn't have any negative impact on the environment. We do. Everybody does. But are you going to tell me that, okay, two, three cows have less of an impact on greenhouse gases than one? And I, I think, and our, a lot of, especially our animal, animal agriculture sectors, I mean, they have been increasing production, decreasing greenhouse gas inputs for decades. And I don't think people realize just how incredibly efficient they've become. And we're going to lose it. And it's going to get replaced with something that is causing significant more in negative impact on the planet. Yeah. And these rural communities that have relied on this in, in the United States, I mean, they're going to be devastated. And so I think we have a lot to lose for this. And yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people quite realize that. Yeah, I will. Uh, we can't lose that uh, Coors Barley that uh, they used to make all that Coors beer that we can't lose that. <laughs> But no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I think people, you know, I think our society, I'm included, you know, you go to the store, there's there's fruits and vegetables there, you know, as far as the eye can see. And you never that's where you stop thinking about it is is right there. You know, I think that's different probably than than even 50 years ago when people have more of a connection to agriculture. And I and. I think that people like another savings or opportunity people bring up is, is growing crops that consume less water and it's possible. It is very difficult. And because farmers grow what we want, they are, they're, they're not, they don't decide the markets. They, and they're they're They don't make prices. They're price takers. And so, and it really makes so you have people come up with these ideas of well this crop uses cactus fruit well i don't see a lot of people eating cactus fruit and i don't think you're going to force people to eat cactus fruit um and so it, it can be pretty difficult but even within i say that there are opportunities it's just we need people to understand they're not what people think they are and it's well what other kinds of forage can we grow and what other kinds of grasses or legumes? And there are crops out there. It's just the the scary and exciting part of it is there's no research on this. I mean, you've got a lot of far, you've got some ranchers right now, especially on the Western Slope. You have a group up in Kremlin. They are on the cutting edge. These farmers or there are these ranchers trying different kinds of forages and they might use 5% 10% less water. And maybe th that might not sound impressive, but at scale, that's a lot of water. Yeah. And that's what we can do. But 
The problem is you have these ranchers who have a ranch, a family, often other jobs to make ends meet. They're the ones leading the charge on this research. And we need help. Yeah. And that's what we're, and I mean, right now, like with our, our drought resilience program, I mean, we're providing money, but really the front line is, are these individual farmers and ranchers with really creative ideas and letting them try to put those and see if that actually works. And we're not, we're saving inches of water, but that can really make a big difference to the individual. And also if these are practices that are scalable, then that can make an impact up for the state. Yeah. And that's that's really what we're focusing on. And it is it is these other kinds of forages or how can I prevent more soil evaporation growing certain crops or how can I better time my irrigation applications or how can I run my livestock differently on these fields to try to save a, a few inches of water and again, that a few inches of water doesn't sound sexy to a lot of people, but it, it it's amazing to us. I mean, these are people who they measure precipitation by tenths of an inch and they talk about it at, at the coffee shop. And at scale, again, a few inches over an acre, an inch over an acre. Well, we've got acres. We can bring that to the table. And that adds up to a lot of acre feet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing these uh, perspectives. Is there anything you want to talk about or talk to that I haven't asked you? Um, I guess I just and this is just my thing is I think a lot of people have a, a really inaccurate perception of agriculture in Colorado. I mean, ninety two percent of these farms are family farms. The, I mean, if you don't like big corporate ag, well, go to some of these places. They're not, I mean, very few of these large corporate entities are embraced by the local community. Some do a great job. A lot, they're pretty foreign. They're not, and I mean, these are people, these are not rich people. I mean, they, they will, they're not doing this to make money. They love doing it. And even if, even if you are, the the vegan vegetarian who does not like animal agriculture you look in a lot of these places what's keeping these open fields these valleys it's it's ranching operations and if they're gone it's going to be subdivided it's going to be turned into condos i mean they are their their place of work provides a significant amount of habitat and environmental benefit and so even if you don't want to eat their food, they're providing a lot of other services that I don't think people realize. All right. Well, I think we are at the uh, end of show quiz. Are you ready for the end of show quiz, Greg? Sure. Yeah. All right. Since you were with the uh, Colorado Ag Water Alliance, this is a Colorado quiz. So it'll be three questions. In uh, the last uh, the last podcast, someone got all three, so that's that's what you're shooting for here. Okay. But uh, first question: Santa's workshop is at the North Pole, found at the base of which famous Colorado mountain? Santa's workshop is at the base of which famous Colorado mountain? Is that Pikes Peak? That is Pikes Peak. You oh. are correct. Good work. All right, on to number two. Uh, this is true or false, so you got 50-50 chance right off the bat. 
Colorado produced nearly 50 million a year in precious metals at the turn of the century. Is that true or false? 50 million a year in precious metals. I could believe I'd say true. Uh, you are correct again, Greg. That is true. All right, final question here. You can go three for three and be in the uh, Streaming Water Podcast Quiz Hall of Fame if you get this. Uh, Denver's first settlement was on the west side of what creek? Denver's first settlement was on the west side of what creek? Was it Cherry Creek? That is correct. You are uh, three for three, Greg. Very nice job. And uh, thanks for taking time. I know you had a busy day today. Thanks for taking time out of it to uh, share some of your perspectives on water and uh, the Colorado Ag Water Alliance. I appreciate you being here. Well, I really appreciate you giving us a chance to talk, Blair. Thank you. You bet. To our sponsors, thanks to the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council and the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association for their sponsorship. Uh, To our listeners, if you like the program, we ask that you uh, give us a, a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you're listening on. And if you have ideas for shows that you want to hear about, uh, interesting topics like this, uh, send me an email at uh, streamingwateramail.com and uh, we can get a uh, an episode on this. So thanks again, Greg, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Streaming Water Podcast. Great. Thank you.